Uh, Lord, thank you for Tim. Thank you that his, his life is a message um, of, of love to, to others. Lord, thank you that he is someone who's been so generous to this congregation and to our whole church um, over many, many years. And Lord, I, I pray, Lord, you bless him as he speaks to us. But Lord, most of all, that we'd have our ears open and our hearts open to all that you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, I've just realised that I've left the clicky thing down on the chair there as well. Um, um, it's lovely to be here with you and uh, those of you that are joining online as well, a little uh, kind of hello to you as well. Um, uh, and yeah, it's the first Sunday in Advent. It kind of, it's still November, isn't it? But um, uh, we get in early with the Christian calendar. Um, and uh, so we're, we're thinking uh, this new series and it's a, a series that's uh, called um, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And um, I'm not sure if you're very good at waiting. How many of you reckon that you're quite good at waiting? Actually, actually, that's just something. Actually, there's something about waiting that just isn't very nice, isn't it? Kind of, particularly when you're um, you're eagerly expecting something or you're hoping for something. Um, actually, the the wait is um, uh, well, our, our society doesn't do waiting very well. Um, I, to show my age, um, when there used to be kind of television series when I was when I was young, you had to used, used to have to wait from one week to the next to hear to find out. So say I don't know Doctor Who was on, and there was some kind of there he was, and the kind of the Cybermen were at the door. The kind of, the, the the fate of the universe was kind of uh, in the balance, and do, 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 and, and you had to wait till next. Saturday. Ah, there was no box sets. They didn't live stream them. You couldn't sort of think, oh, I've got another hour, put another episode on, I can find out. And the waiting, I suppose the waiting did a number of things. I, the waiting was frustrating because you wanted to know what was going to happen. But I suppose in your mind, you kind of started to guess. I wonder how he's going to get out of this. I wonder what's going to happen to those Cybermen. I wonder, and, and, and your imagination actually started to work through. Maybe kind of in, in, in your dreams, you were, you were going to be kind of the doctor's assistant and, and you're going to help him out this time or help her out this time and, and you're going to be the one. And, and there's something about waiting that develops, I suppose, hope and imagination and depth and the instantness of things can sometimes actually robs us of a, of a quality and a depth and a richness of life. So we're going to think about, about waiting and Advent's a time for waiting. Um, and I suppose there's two waitings. First of all, there was the waiting of those, uh, those first people in the time of, of Jesus. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. But for us, we, we celebrate that first coming of Jesus, but we, we also are waiting. We're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. We're waiting for the return where the things that we see in our world, where there's pain and disappointment, where there's darkness and, and there's evil, where we ourselves face our own particular struggles and hardships, we, we, we're waiting. We're waiting for the day of Jesus' return when he will judge all darkness and sin and, and, and the powers of darkness will then finally be vanquished. No more pain, no more death, no more sickness. Actually, we're waiting for the day of Jesus' return. But I suppose the question here is, what, what are you waiting for? Because I suppose our Christian experience, for, for those of us here who, who would call ourselves Christians, actually, there's, in, 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 the, in the waiting, there's all kinds of things that maybe we struggle with. You're waiting for a prayer to be answered. You're waiting for 
healing to come. You're waiting for peace to come where you're just full of anxious thoughts. You're waiting for a family member to, to find Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you're waiting for a child, waiting for a new job. And, 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 and in the waiting, there is disappointment. In the waiting, there's struggle. In the waiting, I suppose there's patience, which is one of the fruit of the spirits that we... we but, but how do we navigate and handle waiting well? So we're going to look at, uh, at Luke's uh, gospel uh, as we look at this um, Advent season. And um, I don't know if you know Luke's gospel, but the first chapter of Luke's gospel is just a long genealogy. It's a long genealogy of all kinds of names that aren't very British, and they're quite hard to pronounce. And you think, ah, what's, what's that got to do with, with waiting? What's Luke trying to communicate now, I'm not sure um, if uh, you watch the TV program on genealogies to, to kind of people who kind of try and track down some of their, um, their ancestors and try and work out some of their, their family tree. Um, I, I had a go at doing that, and I came up with, with two, uh, two people. So my great-great-great-great-grandfather uh, on my mother's mother's side uh, was called William Brock. He lived from 1807 to 1875, um, and he was uh, a church planter. He planted a church in London with 50 friends, and he um, uh, it grew to 2,000 within his lifetime. Bloomsbury Chapel is still there today. He was an abolitionist. He was a biographer. He supported missionary causes. Um, our family, my, my one of my cousins, uh, great cousins, has got a letter from uh, handwritten letter from Spurgeon uh, to, to William Brock, and one from David Livingstone from in Africa. Uh, again, personal friends with those. So that's one of my ancestors. I track back a church planting Baptist. Oh, great. And um, but um, his his father um, came from. Holland escaping persecution, religious persecution, but uh, his mother was from this family called the Olsop, and so I've actually tracked that back to, to Vincent Olsop. He was born in 1630, almost 400 years ago. Um, he was a non-conformist clergyman, um, and he did all kinds of crazy stuff. One of the things he did was he prayed for somebody who was sick, and because he wasn't a priest, he was in prison for six months. I mean, we, we, we pray for people here, don't we? But it's kind of, uh, normal times. Um, but because he wasn't a, a priest, because he was nonconformist, he was actually put in prison for six months. And it wasn't like Hallfield Prison, kind of with running water. Actually, it would have been fairly rank uh, back in those days. But because he loved Jesus. Um, so I, I, I track back to him and I think, oh, maybe there's some of, I'm not sure if my hairline's quite the same as his, but um, uh, I'm sure there's something in the spirit that's kind of tracked down from him. So anyway... What about, what about Jesus' genealogy? What, what do we find out from, from his genealogy? And I suppose, here you go. This, this is kind of um, some of the, 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 the names that appear. So this is Luke chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he lists the names. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Um, and again, there's, there's four women get mentioned, which again, for a, a patriarchal society where it was just your male lineage that really mattered, uh, four women appear in Jesus' genealogy. The first is Tamar. Again, a very strange story about um, uh, Tamar had these two boys, uh, and it was actually her, her, her father-in-law that was the father of, again, look at Genesis chapter 38 if you want to know more about that slightly distressing story. Um, uh, Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram was the father of Binadab, Binadab was the father of Nashon, Nashon was the father of Salmon, uh, or Salmon, Salmon, not Salmon, Salmon, um, very close. Salmon was the father of Boaz, ah, oh, Boaz, Boaz, that's the story of Ruth. Do you remember kind of in the time of the judges? And then Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, 
Again, it's interesting. Rahab, um, why would Luke mention Rahab here? Well, it's probably the same Rahab as the walls of Jericho. Rahab, who was a prostitute. And here's a, here's a genealogy. In, and even a, a, a foreigner, a Canaanite prostitute, gets a little mention in Jesus' genealogy. Um, uh, but uh, So that was Boaz's mum. Uh, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Again, here's Ruth, the story of Ruth we read about in the Old Testament, and Moabites. Uh, for somebody who, but who, who found through friendship with Naomi, found that uh, Israel's God was going to be her God, and she kind of became part of that, uh, that family. Uh, so Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. King David was the, fa- was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Again, just that uh, catastrophic event in David's life with Bathsheba, where he should have been a king going to war. He saw Bathsheba, committed adultery with her, uh, killed her husband, um, and here's uh, Bathsheba. She gets a mention in Jesus' genealogy too. Uh, so Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz was the father of Joshaphat. Joshaphat was the father of Jethro. Jehoram was there. Uh, Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's Isaiah chapter 6. That's that king there. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had the, the, the boil. He was going to die of this boil. A fatal boil. I'm not sure if I've had one of those, but um, uh, he was healed by God. Uh, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jeconiah. Yes, anyway, him. His brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And then from the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Matham was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, uh, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there was 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile uh, to the Messiah. Ha! Okay. So, I don't know, when we read a list like that, I mean, hmm, how does that help us? I mean, how, how does that help us today? If God's word is living and active and it's written for our edification, for our, our building up, how does that help us in, I don't know, with our waiting, with our struggles, with the things that we're, we're, we're hoping for? How does it give us kind of perspective for doing our life well? Well, I think for me, this, just this little last bit uh, where Luke is trying to say, here's Jesus the people in Jesus' time were waiting. Actually, they were waiting for a Messiah. Actually, they were waiting for a Messiah, and I suppose they wanted a Messiah to do two things. They were waiting for deliverance. The Roman Empire was, the Romans were occupying their, their nation, and it wasn't a pleasant time. And, and they wanted deliverance. They wanted to be free from the oppression of, of an, an enemy uh, re- regime. And so they were, wait, looking for, they were waiting for a Messiah. For someone, the day will come and the Messiah will come and will set us free from the tyranny of these Roman uh, occupiers. But also they're looking for a time of restoration because they knew in their history, the history of Israel, that Israel had, had once been top dog, once... Nations had travelled to to see Solomon's temple. They, kind of, they they knew that that once David had been on the throne and and things had been good for them. And not only did they want deliverance from 
the oppression of going around about them. But actually, they want once again to be the top dog. They wanted kind of to, once again to be restored to what they believed was their God-given role to be uh, God's favoured people. And so they were waiting. They were waiting for that kind of Messiah. And as Luke comes, he, he says, actually, and here is Jesus. Here is the Messiah you've been waiting for. And he says that, again, the way that they do genealogies, sometimes actually you go through that list and compare it to Matthew's list, actually they aren't the same. And in some ways we think, oh, them, that you can't trust the Bible, they're not accurate. Actually, people have different lists for different reasons. And, and here um, he pulls out kind of, so I just told you about two of my ancestors. Now you might say, oh, Tim, that wasn't very accurate, kind of because you missed out. Everyone in between, well, no, I just wanted to make a little point to you that, I've got religion in my blood, or something like that. Um, uh, and Luke wants to make a point. So it's not trying to give every ancestor of Jesus. He's trying to make a point. And in the waiting, he says, actually, in the waiting and the Messiah coming, actually, here's three things. Here's three things for us to recall and remember. Actually, the first is that kind of, so here's these generations, these 40s, for Abraham, David, exile, Messiah. Actually, the first is, in, in, our, in our waiting, um, Abraham. Actually, Luke says, as the Messiah comes, the Messiah is the fulfillment of the covenant promise given to Abraham. If you know the story of Abraham, you'll know that Abraham was somebody who, who heard God speaking to him, and, and he got up and obeyed, left his home nation and, and traveled, and he wasn't quite sure where, but he was obedient to the voice of God. And, and because of his obedience, God credited him with, with righteousness and, and actually he gave him a promise and he gave him a promise that he would bless him. He would bless him with, with children and not just a child. He would actually look up at the stars of the sky and, and I'm going to bless you. You can have this many kids, Abraham. And there was not only the promise of blessing, there was the promise of blessing that was going to bless the world. Actually, I'm going to, the way that God was going to deal with our brokenness and the darkness and the futility and the, and the pain and the disappointment, the way that God was going to deal with that is that, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your descendants so much that in the end, you're going to be a blessing to every single nation on this planet. And that was the covenant deal. And as Luke tells the story, he wants people to see that actually when Jesus comes, as they're waiting, as they're waiting for life to change, as they're waiting for things to get better, as they're waiting for things to kind of, to once again, the, what they felt was the destiny of, of God on their lives to, to be fulfilled. Actually, he said, I want you to remember covenant promise. And for us in our waiting, whether we're waiting for an answer to prayer, whether we're waiting for, for healing, whether we're, we're waiting for um, yeah, friends to become Christians, whatever it is, actually remember that we serve the God who is the God of Abraham. We follow Jesus, who is one of the descendants of it. He, he actually, in Jesus, we find that there's covenant promise, a covenant relationship, a friend, friendship that Jesus says, I will never leave you. I'll never abandon you. And even in the struggles and the disappointments, as we open our lives up and say, we want to know the blessing that was promised in Abraham, but was delivered through Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Here's the fulfillment of the covenant promise. As we wait, do we come to the Messiah? Do we want just things to sort out for us? Or do we say, actually, God, today, can we know something of what it is? Your covenant love, your covenant promise. Actually, the blessing that is in Jesus that comes to us all to know peace and hope and forgiveness through him. But the second thing is, um, 
Luke says he's a descendant of David. David who was king. Uh, David who probably for the um, the Jewish nation was the best king. He was the king that um, that uh, led his people well, who knew God and, and followed God in his younger years wholeheartedly. He was somebody who saw the land that was promised uh, to, to Moses, that land inherited, that inheritance that God had promised. He saw the land come into their possession, and he saw peace and freedom from the Philistines and from oppressive nations round about him. And, and somehow the, the kingdom of David was the pinnacle of, of historical, political, national Israel. And, and somehow Luke says, but Jesus is the son of David. Actually, there's something about Jesus that he does have a people, a people that follow him, a people that have trusted in him. Actually, he does have an inheritance, uh, the inheritance that's in, in Jesus, which is our, um, our forgiveness, our joy, our love, encounter, the inheritance that one day will be the new heaven and the new earth, when we'll be with him, when there, as I said, there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more sickness. And Jesus comes with a kingdom that is at, is at hand, and he, and he says for us to seek first that kingdom. And I wonder in our struggles, in our waiting, do we realize that Jesus is king? Actually, you're not king or queen. You're not in charge. Actually, if you try to be in charge, if you try to live your own life, actually, it does tend to get in a little bit of a mess. But in our waiting, do we say, Jesus, you're the king, the son of David. And he comes not with a kingdom that is a political and a military kingdom. He comes with a kingdom that is to do with justice, to do with righteousness, and to do with peace. Luke also says, uh, Abraham, 40 generations, David, 40 generations, exile. In our waiting, we, sometimes we can point the finger at God. Sometimes we can question God. Sometimes we can say to God, God, it's not fair. Why me and, and not them? And, and, and actually, we do need to understand that we're in a, a world that is fallen. Actually, God's people didn't do all that God had intended them to do. God had plans to, to bless them through Abraham. He saw some things happening through David. But time and time again, the kings, many whose names we read out just a moment ago, or I attempted to read out, actually turn time and time and time again. They disobeyed God. They turned the back on. Rather than worshipping him, loving him, honouring him, there was brokenness, confusion, failure. And ultimately, there was exile. Ultimately, there was banishment. Ultimately, it looked as though the destiny and purposes of God was, was in, in ruins. Kind of the temple was destroyed. There wasn't a king on the throne. Kind of what on earth was going on? And in the Messiah coming, the Messiah comes, Jesus, in the face of a broken, damaged world. Actually, our own brokenness and our own damage. In a moment or two, we're going to share communion together. And in a communion, we remind, we're reminded that we have all failed. We've all disappointed not only ourselves, but we've just disappointed God with the things that we think and the things that we say and the things that we do. And actually, some things that we, we should have done and we should have thought and we should have said that we haven't done. And, and we know that we live in a world. And, and somehow there's this wrestle of, of exile and, and separation from God and life not quite working as it should do. But Luke is saying, actually, but 40 generations after that, here comes the Messiah. And the Messiah turns around. The Messiah turns exile into presence. 
animosity into peace. And finally here, for those who had eyes to see, the Messiah had arrived in our world. God in human form, bringing the blessing and bringing the kingdom, turning around our brokenness and finding life and hope. And so as we take communion this morning and as we think about waiting, I'm not quite sure how you handle that. I'm not sure how good you are at that. Um, uh, when I was leading community church, one of the, the, the people who was part of our congregation was someone called Alan Mann, and he wrote a little kind of, quite a short little book, which is my favorite kind of book, um, on the fruit of the Spirit. And he says this about the, the, the fruit of, uh, of patience. He says this, I like the idea that what we do with the waiting is the most important thing. That waiting is the opportunity to do something positive and become a better person for it. To reflect on life, to consider life's options, to pray and to wait for an answer. To build hope, to develop faith, to refine our character, to connect with people and build relationships, to serve others and to gain wisdom. And this time of Advent, a time of where the church would traditionally kind of wait, I think waiting is a time to do those kind of things. Waiting is a time in our own struggles, as we wait for our, our own stuff to happen, as, uh, handle our own disappointment, as we wait for the next episode of, of Doctor Who or the next episode in our life of, of what's going to happen next with us in our job, in our family, kind of. And as we wait, I think reflecting, making the most of the time, allowing God to go deep, using our imagination to welcome the Messiah who brings the covenant promise of Abraham, to welcome the Messiah who is in the line of David, to welcome the Messiah who turns around the disappointment and the failure of exile, to wait, to believe, to trust, and to know. Let's pray. And as we pray just uh, for these moments, then um, it's a chance for us to bring our waiting, bring our frustrations, bring our pains and our disappointments to God. In our waiting, we look to Jesus. When we look to ourselves, we suddenly find that there is disappointment and frustration and it becomes overbearing. But when we look to Jesus, the Messiah, we find the blessing of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the release from frustration and exile. And we say this morning, in our own struggles, we want to meet with you. To meet with you, Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Pray you give us this morning the patience as we wait. I pray you give us hope as we wait. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to take a chance to take communion. And again, if you're watching online and if you've had a chance to go and grab a bit of bread and some juice. Um, uh, but here we're going to take a chance to take a communion. And um, what we're going to do is there's uh, some uh, bread and some uh, non-alcoholic wine at the front and at the back. Um, the smaller plates is gluten-free. Uh, you can come and help yourself from the front or from the back. Um, actually, if, if there's just something you, you know you're waiting for at the moment, and there's a little bit of pain, a bit of frustration, uh, I think Ed and... Um, 
Janet are going to be at the back. And if you'd like someone, just say, say a prayer for you, to, just to know what it is to have hope and perseverance and patience in your own little struggles. Then do, when you get communion at the back, do ask for, uh, for, for prayer. Um, uh, but no one's going to usher you. The worship will be playing. Uh, do come and receive communion. And when you, if you want to join in with singing, put your mask back on. But um, as we come to communion, uh, actually it's a time of remembering as we wait as we wait, we can fix our eyes on the problem or we can fix our eyes on the solution. And communion is a time where Jesus says, I want you to fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on, on me, on Jesus. And on the night that he was betrayed with his friends, he took some bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, take, eat. This is my body. It was broken for you. After supper, he took the cup and he said that Here's a new covenant. It's a new deal. It's a new agreement. It's, it's actually going to forgive any wrongdoing, any shame and guilt that you're experiencing now. Actually, all you need to do is confess your failure. And this cup reminds us that the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from the inside out. So as we take communion now, we just want to take a moment to reflect on our own failure and the way we've disappointed ourselves, our family, our friends, we've disappointed God. And just take a moment to confess. To say, yes, God, that was me. I said that. I was there. I did that. And if, as we confess our sins, our wrongdoings, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us. He'll cleanse us. And I pray that we'd know that this morning as we take this bread and take this cup, we'd know the, the filling once again and the cleansing. We'd look once again, Jesus, towards you at this time of Advent. In your name we pray. Amen.